Welcome to Metabolic Matters Podcast, where we embark on conversations with thought leaders, disruptors, change agents, and passionate souls. Together, we'll delve into what truly matters to them. And you'll learn how to metabolize this newfound wisdom so you can transform your own metabolic health. Now let's meet today's guest. Hi, everybody. It is incredibly uh, my pleasure to have here today someone who is no stranger to integrative medicine or functional medicine, who uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by his story, which was one of growing up in a commune type of environment um, and really only knowing the healthcare provided by chiropractors and homeopaths as he was a kiddo. Um, but as most do, and I think our teen years, we always try and differentiate from what we know. And so his pendulum sort of swung all the way over to the other side as he jumped headlong into economy and capitalism and that whole realm, which what I think is so beautiful, it's like you went from the commune to sort of consumerism and all the way back to this concept we're going to talk a lot about today, community and community cure and community care. And so, gosh, James, I've been following your work for years and years and years and years and finally got to meet you in person this past summer uh, in London at the Integrative Personalized Medicine Conference and then had a privilege of running into you briefly at an environmental medicine, American Association of Environmental Medicine Conference in San Antonio a couple months back. So it's really an honor to have you here because I feel like you, in some ways, someone who's not a doctor, someone who doesn't come from this realm has made more like inroads and changes in healthcare than any of us from the healthcare world. So just want to say a huge warm welcome and thank you so much for being here. Uh, well, it's such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Perfect. And so, you know, you have this perspective from your book, which I love. It's up behind you um, on the on the shelf over there, which is pretty cool. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this book is a game changer. Um, it's something here. What one of the things that you're advocating for in the writing of this book is an entirely new way of delivering healthcare. So, before you dive into the specifics of that. I would like people to get a little bit more sense about you and that movement from commune to, you know, yeah. to, to, to the commerce and back to commune again, in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you, you start your life and you think whatever you're doing is just the normal way that people are. And then sometimes you just get a, a moment where you realize that you're not normal. And I, I can remember very clearly being at the school nurse age, like nine, and looking up and seeing that on the wall, there was a sticky note and it just said, James Maskell, no antibiotics until you speak to mother. And I was like, first of all, why am I the only others? There's not like there's another one saying, hey, you know, this other kid, well, there's, I'm the only one up there. And I got, and I don't want antibiotics. And, and that's me, you know, at boarding school, basically, like, you know, realizing that like, this is that I'm, I'm different from the other kids because I've got this thing, thing up there. And, you know, that was the beginning of a, of a, of a moment to realize that no one else had grown up like I had grown up, right? No one else had, um, 
interacted with as many adults as I'd interacted with. Most people just have, you know, their parents and uh, a couple of their parents' friends. And I had grown up in community, both in the UK and in South Africa, uh, where I live right when we, we were born. And yeah, my parents were involved in um, spiritual work and there were communities across the world. And um, I got to travel to some of those communities growing up. And yeah, it just sort of left a, a mark where I kind of knew that something, this is healthy, like this is healthy. Uh, but I also recognized that, uh, you know, like you said, the differentiation, I decided that um, I needed to, I, I did economics and I took a job as an investment banker because it paid the most out of, out of university and it's just like what everyone else was doing. And very quickly when I took that first job, I just realized like, the people that I was working with, I didn't aspire to be like them. Like I, I could see that they were unhappy. They would tell me actually that they were unhappy. And so, you know, where I had seen people that were happy and were also involved in something that seemed to have, you know, momentum and seemed to have scale um, was a community that, um, you know, that, that I had been part of as well, which was involved in, in natural health. And um, I just knew, like, I had grown up with different health choices. I had seen homeopaths and chiropractors and had been generally healthy. And in my training, in my university, had seen the coming cost of chronic illness explosion, right? And, you know, I think actually today, it's interesting, 2024, it's kind of becoming obvious to everyone that, you know, we're running out of money to pay for chronic disease care. Right. Yeah. And that wasn't really obvious to anyone for the last 20 years, but it was obvious to me in 2003 because I was looking at the graphs. That's what I was like learning about. I did health economics at university and I was like, oh, it looks like we run out of money in like 2025. I'm like, well, I'm only going to be 45 then. Like that's going to be the middle of my life. That's not something that I'm going to push off to my kids and be like, hey, good luck dealing with that. That's going to be like front and center when I'm a dad. And here we are. And, you know, so ultimately, you know, that sort of shook me loose to be like, hey, you better get into this now and try and work out what's going on. And so, yeah, 2005, moved to America to try and understand what is chronic illness? Where does it come from? And the first question that I want to answer is like, is it reversible? Like, can you take someone who's chronically ill and get them to a point where they're not chronically ill and they're not a burden on the healthcare system? And, you know, that was the beginning of a journey that is now like, I don't know, 18, 19 years into it. And have learned a lot about that question and have actually been able to like, look into to subsequent questions with an understanding that, that yes, chronic disease is reversible. Wow, you know, and it's it's funny because I love that you gave some some sort of time stamps here. Because this has basically been a, a 20 year conversation or close to it for you, as you said, 18, 19, 20 years here, uh, that you were seeing the writing on the wall back then. And unfortunately, you, uh, your crystal ball back then has been rather accurate. And so one of the things I've heard you say in various interviews that you've done and even written in, in um, your books, which we'll talk more about here in a moment, but you're noting that medicine of today, and 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 I, I hesitate to call it the healthcare system because I think it's anything but, um, but the standard of care today is evolving too slowly to manage the onslaught of the massive chronic disease burden that we are sinking 
in right now. I mean, truly. So can you explain a little bit more specifically by what you mean about that? You've alluded to it here, but maybe walk through three or four things that you see are really damaging in our current model or really ineffective in our current model. Yeah. Well, the first book was called The Evolution of Medicine and I had an organization called that. And the first, the, the, the thesis is, you know, it's easy to look back. It's easy to look at chronic disease care today and say it's backwards, right? Because the goal isn't necessarily self-efficacy. The goal isn't, you know, to reverse the chronic illness. The goal is to manage that. And you could look at that and you could think that's just wrong. Or you could look at it and say, that might have made sense at the time, <laughs> right? And that's the way I see it is that, you know, if you go back to 100 years ago and you think, what were the diseases of the time? What was really killing people? You know, what was really um, uh, causing the life expectancy at that moment to suffer? It's a lot of acute illness. Yeah. And the first generation of medication, you know, made a significant impact on that, antibiotics and so forth. If you, you know, if you were a soldier in the army pre- 1900 and you get a gash in your leg you've got gangrene and then you're going down you know yeah. so that so then you know it it only makes sense to think that well if it worked for this it would work for these other things but um ultimately what you start to see in the 1950s 60s 70s is a whole new class of disease these lifestyle driven lifestyle mediated chronic diseases alzheimer's cancer metabolic disease type 2 diabetes i mean it may not be that they're all different i mean you may have the opinion that these are just different manifestations of the same underlying dysfunction and metabolic dysfunction but ultimately you see a different class of diseases that don't really respond in the same way to a singular drug cure and so you know in that case what you need to start to understand is that in what should happen is that medicine should evolve to that new understanding and that new reality but so much of the you know there's so much momentum behind pharmaceutical mm -hmm. medicine um there's so much training education that's been developed for doctors around it it's very slow to adapt mm -hmm. and you have you know doctors and practitioners who typically because of either their own struggle or the struggle of someone in their family gets sort of jolted out of that reality and be like, Hey, you've got to go a different way because the drugs aren't working. There's no other solution for you in Western medicine. You got to find that. And that's when I think you start to see in the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, you start to see that the sort of emergence mm. of um, professional you know, integrative medicine, because people are looking for other tools that work and they start to realize there are huge swathes of, of untapped medicine that are uh, available and actually are extremely effective in those areas. So clinical nutrition, right? So understanding nutrition, understanding deficits and so forth, mind body medicine, all these different areas, herbology, you know, these, these, these areas, you know, emerge or actually re-emerge, you know, in the um, bastard stepchild corner of, of medicine, right? And, you know, children's table at Thanksgiving dinner, right? Right. Uh, and yeah, interestingly, you know, anyone who's actually doing it is kind of like, hang on a minute, this, you know, if we organize this better, this seems to work like pretty consistently. And actually, maybe, maybe 
cancer is almost um, the exception that proves the rule because in I think cancer in a certain way is, is interesting because it's a little bit unpredictable. It's a bit more unpredictable than some of the other conditions. If you look at those conditions that I just mentioned, I would say that it's pretty clear to me that most chronic lifestyle mediated conditions have a pretty predictable path on how you get there and actually almost like quite a predictable path to get back in in most cases it's the further you go the harder it is to get back right but there is a path there and a path back and you know at this moment like having now the now the evidence base you know being being um grown that's a that's a big area of focus for me right now is to think about you know how to continue to grow the evidence base but now you're just starting to see like a more rapid evolution and that rapid evolution is not actually happening in healthcare systems because it's still very sludgy there but it's happening in Silicon valley and it's happening in micro practices across the country and it's happening in as those practices now come together and share their data and show what's going on so i think we're you know we're at the beginning of sort of a renaissance of um, empowered health we're at a renaissance of medicine that is focused on um you know guiding the body back to self uh, self-efficacy and, and health and uh, I'm excited to all parts of that. Like there's so much, you know, in a moment of that much tr dramatic transformation, there's incredible like uh, opportunity. There's incredible, uh, there's incredible stories happening everywhere. And so it's been amazing for the last 10 years anyway, to be, to be able to hold those stories, to be able to share those stories, to be able to meet the people who have been on the front end of everything. And, that's why I'm really grateful to be here because, um, you know, you've you've been there right alongside me. Exactly. We've been on this like parallel journey and so many people that you've drawn into your into your circle, you know, into your parade, if you will. And, you know, another thing I, I, I see you, you use this quote a lot. I think it might even be on one of your websites is a, a, a quote that you shared, which is also one of my favorites, which is from, uh, you know, Richard Buckminster Fuller. And it's that you never change things by fighting the existing reality to change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And if I feel like that, I mean, that should literally be like the t-shirt you wear every day, a sticker across your forehead, because yeah. you, I can remember when you first started bringing together a very small group of like-minded individuals in the beginning, I can still remember like seeing little videos about like you'd be in a little theater somewhere. It was like you, maybe 20 people in the audience. And now this, you're, you're in our world, you're a how you're like a household name, you know, at this point. So talk to me about that because I think it's become evident. I think you've just said this, and I think it's of my opinion and many others like us along this path that I spent the first 20 years of my career trying to fix the current system. And I reached a point where I realized it was just, it, it, it's not possible because of all the things you described, you know, the, the, the train is in full motion and it's not, there's nothing stopping it. So instead there's, as you noted, all these little microcosms, these little ecosystems popping up everywhere. And we're starting to link arms in a more meaningful way. Can you speak to some more like very tangible examples? I know in some of your podcasts, you give examples of things like um, blue zones, the Daniel plan, the Italians in Pennsylvania, you know, in Pennsylvania, like you give examples of sort of historical community making change. So if you want to touch on a few of the historical perspectives, but also what have you been seeing in the last 
say, especially the last two years, because I think a lot has changed, especially in the last couple of years, that is giving you a glimmer of hope that we are truly building a new system. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I tried to pull on examples over my career of what we should be aiming for, right? Mm. Because yeah. um, it's not that obvious, you know, I, I don't think at the outset, you know, what, what, is, what should be aspirational? Um, when I came across the, the research of the blue zones, I thought that was very interesting because here's populations of people that are living longer without access to medicine. It's just like the culture reinforces healthy behaviors and those healthy behaviors stacked on top of each other create a disproportionate number of people that live to a hundred and, and high life expectancy. That's interesting, right? Because that sort of signals the path of maybe um, what optimal health looks like, what optimal community looks like, what optimal society living looks like. If you live in this way, like you have a higher chance of living to a hundred. So that was always interesting to me, you know, in, in my first Ted talk or otherwise looked at, um, you know, like you said, examples where there's been a dramatic shift where someone, a group that did live harmoniously and did live healthily, you know, was sort of cut off at the knees by something. And that led to, um, you know, dramatic decrease in, in life expectancy. And ultimately, you know, that's what we're seeing today, like in America today, for the first time in human history, you see a year on year, like for a few years, when I started life expectancy in America was that the rate of, of um, increase was slowing. But now it's actually, you know, it's, it's following that same trend, it's going down. And so, you know, typically, that's never really happened at a, at a macro level at a country level. Like if you look at all the life expectancy across all countries in the last 200 years, it's always up to the left. So to go down is is new, right? This is a new thing that we're dealing with. We've reached like a limit. Yeah. And, you know, some of that is to do with, with opiates and so forth. But, you know, obviously we have to kind of consider, well, what's driving that? What's driving, you know, the deaths of despair? And ultimately, you know, this book, The Community Cure, when I first started writing it, the, the, the title was A Cure for Loneliness. Ooh. Because Ooh. I, uh, I recognize that, well, I, I've been, I'd sat in lectures. So one of the things that you and I have in common is we've sat in probably a million, you know, lectures in this. In 2015, you know, having, having already started a business that was to bring communities of practitioners that were thinking together, the original thesis was there's a lot of disparate people doing disparate things, but they're all like underlying doing the same thing, which is their goal is to reverse chronic illness. Their goal is to, you know, facilitate health in humans. Let's put them in a room together in their different geographies and see what happens. And that's, you know, still going to this day. So that's what the functional forum started as. Uh, we're actually, so the first ever episode, the first ever meeting was February, 2014. So we're coming up on the 10 year anniversary episode, which is going to be February, 2024. And, you know, for 10 years, the thesis has been, let's gather those people together into a room. Let's have them learn from each other, connect with each other, reinforce that this is needed and, and healthy. And let's let whatever emerges from it emerge. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm excited to see. And there's been some wonderful emergence from it and there's still emergence to come. Over time, we've realized, how do you make those communities sustainable? How do you create structures where they will last for 10 years and whether they'll continue to gather momentum? And so 
That's what's critical about that is like who's going to run it, who's going to be in charge of it, who's incentivized to really make it work long term. So, you know, there's been some learnings, but right now we have, yeah, we have meetups on three continents. We have, you know, the London one started when I met you there or restarted. And I think we have now a foundation where, you know, in, in, in a few years, we could have meetings in every small city in America and we could have one in, you know, cities around the world. And, you know, if, if nothing else, if all I did in my career was that I'd actually feel fine because ultimately I don't have to own everything that came out of it. I just had to like organize um, people to meet each other, connect, find um, support and have the confidence to move forward with, Mm -hmm. you know, with the work that they're doing, because ultimately when you're starting something nascent, one of the biggest issues is that you look around, you see that no one else is doing what you're doing, and you think you're crazy. And I think, you know, one of the one of the things that I've heard time and time again is that these communities allow doctors that are on the cutting edge to reinforce each other that this is valuable, this is necessary, and you know we're going to keep moving forward. I love it. I mean, my gosh, you are the prime example of a catalyst right? It's like, you don't have to be part of the entire enzymatic reaction. You just need to get it started. And so that is evident here, but I know you are definitely more involved than you are maybe letting on to in other ways, but I am curious because you had your early life experience. You had your experience in in economy and capitalism and whatnot that actually helps you know how to create a framework for this that makes it still appropriate for our modern era, which I think is really cool. And then you've come back around of creating this communal you know, this community driven effort. But I, I imagine, even though you've been at this for 20 years, kind of indirectly and 10 years, very directly, I love that the 10 year anniversary is coming up. This might be a perfect time to share this message with the world. But what do you say to what I imagine are still the ongoing naysayers of what it is that you're trying to create or trying to inspire? Uh, that's a good question. I don't, I mean, there are certain topics where I feel like there are naysayers. I don't see them as much anymore. Like, I think people are like, I think, I mean, I think COVID shook a lot of people. I think the trust, the trust in what was is almost falling away, Mm. Um, you know, and I think people are, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't feel as much resistance as I did. There's still... There's still a lot of resistance. You know, the, the further you go into the machine, there's more resistance. I mean, the last three years I've been working to try and make it easy for the sort of um, existing health systems to adopt some form of health creation in some sort of way that is like profitable for them, but also is, you know, health promotion and doesn't allow them, you know, and, and, and sort of takes the um execution risk off their shoulders because this is a new paradigm and it's very difficult to get your head around if you've been used to doing one thing one way and then you realize hey we have to do things another way it's very difficult you know to to make that change i mean it's taken an an organization like the va right the veterans administration in america they're they're 10 years into their transformation and i don't know if you walk into a va hospital it's not going to look that different than it did 10 years ago but you know, they're doing more awesome little groups. They're using integrative therapies. They're dealing with chronic pain in new and novel ways. You know, there's a lot of, and they've just, 
you know, they, they've had so much success in the minutiae of what they call whole person health, that mm. there was actually a document last year that said, we've got to do this to everyone as quickly as possible because it works way better. So great. That's amazing. It's all, they're 10 years into it. It probably take another 10 years to, you know, to fully evolve. Yeah. But you know, the, the, the reason why we started with independent doctors is because an, an independent doctor can say this far, no further. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going in this direction. And, you know, what we were able to do, I think, in 2014, 15, 16, is show that you could do that at a fraction of the cost that it would cost to normally start a new medical practice because of the digital tools that were available. And yeah, we're excited that, you know, we supported a few thousand doctors to, you know, uh, make the journey from whatever job they had before to something that was like fully aligned with the way that they wanted to practice medicine and create a structure that allowed them to have a career doing that. I love it because you are really showing people a, 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 a methodology, a system, you know, a, a systems thinking way of transforming the sort of stuck inherently sick model that we've all been kind of uh, you know, crammed into in the beginning here, you're helping people move from, from that place into something that has, you know, like it, it brings the pleasure back of medicine again. And you so a healthcare practitioner feeling increasingly alienated in a system that seems to have lost touch with its heart. Do you find yourself yearning to reconnect with the essence of why you entered this field to begin with, to truly help people? If so, I invite you to consider a path that will rekindle your passion for medicine. Our metabolic approach to cancer master course starting February 7th offers not just an education, but a heartwarming journey back to the roots of why you chose this profession. Born from my own journey as a teenager grappling with a cancer diagnosis and navigating a failing medical system, it is a testament to the power of transformation and the human spirit. We will dive deep into a patient-first methodology, blending standard of care with naturopathic and complementary therapies, all while focusing on true healing and prevention. Explore our Terrain 10 concept, a compassionate approach to understanding the multifaceted nature of cancer, as well as other metabolic diseases. It's about giving you the tools to not just treat, but truly connect with your patients on a deeper level addressing their unique health needs. By joining this course, you won't just gain knowledge, you'll reclaim the joy and fulfillment of being a practitioner. You'll be part of a community that values patient-centric care underpinned by the latest research and ethical practices. In this era of healthcare, where so many feel frustrated and unable to provide the care they deeply desire, ask yourself, is it time to reignite my passion for medicine, to be part of a movement that restores the soul of healthcare and places the well-being of my patients at its very heart and soul? If these questions touch a chord with you, please join us. Enroll today at matc.terrain.network. That's M as in Mary, atc.terrain, T-E-R-R-A-I-N dot network, N-E-T-W-O-R-K, and use the code PODCAST20 
to get 20% off your course fee. Together, let's bring warmth, empathy, and genuine healing back into the heart of healthcare. It's interesting because, you know, I've trained now 200 clinicians at this, at this recording, 200 uh, physicians in 36 countries, and they want the information, they want the methodology, but where they're stuck is how do you step out of the financial model, the business model, the, the system yeah. step across. And that is what I believe you've been working on and diligently and creating and building upon and improving upon and having it go through all this iterative process. Can you give just like an example, if we have say a, 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 you know, primary care provider or a mid, mid, you know, mid, mid level provider listening to this going, wow, I'm hungry for this information, but I knew I couldn't really use it in the current model as it is. Can you give an example of what that might look like for them to work with somebody like you and what types of tools and methods you've brought to the table? Yeah, well, I guess I'll, I'll give you an, a couple of examples that are in a similar, similar vein. So, you know, what I've been working on for the last few years are um, tools that allow any doctor, practice, clinician to execute some form of this medicine in a way that they don't really have to do anything, that it just gets deployed. Yeah. So what, that was called Heal Community, and Heal Community essentially is like what I call um, groups as a service. So we partner with organizations, um, health systems, doctor's offices, you know, groups. They have patients. They have possibly insurance contracts or way that they get paid. And we become a part of their team. We mm. white label our solution. So it looks like it's their clinic. And we, as the organization, deliver these longitudinal groups. So six-month groups where people come together and support each other on making healthy changes together as a community. Um, there's another project that I'm working on called Vibility, V-I-B-I-L-T-Y, where um, a doctor can prescribe um, a sort of a, a foundational lifestyle medicine program or lifestyle program, um, maybe with supplements alongside it for the basic foundations of functional medicine. So digestive health, detox, like, you know, building the basic function that gets broken down, you know, typically in the journey towards chronic disease. I said earlier, there's a, there's a pathway there and there's a pathway back. Typically part of the pathway back is to heal the gut, you know, and to give the body what it needs to get the among trees working again. Right. So, you know, we've got in that model, that's 300 clinics across the country are doing, you know, similar protocols and the technology is delivering those protocols and tracking all of the outcomes across all of those clinics so that we can see, okay, on average, you know, 15% of people, you know, come off at least one medication, you know, wow. there's this much average weight loss, there's this much improvement in symptom questionnaires and, and in, in outcomes. So, you know, those, again, it's still actually a community theme, which is like, how could a community of doctors work together to build the evidence base to show that this is a much more effective primary intervention than medication for a large swathe of chronic illnesses. And, you know, simultaneously as we're building, you know, building that evidence base, I think people are becoming aware of the fact that if you strip out all of the like, pharma marketing bullshit, you realize that most conditions aren't helped by the drugs that are recommended to them. And, and I say that very clearly, like, you know, one of the things that I think we got a lesson in during the pandemic mm. is 
um, the difference between like relative risk reduction, absolute risk reduction, and what those statistics actually mean, and whether or not those statistics are relevant for you if you are sick, you know, and 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 really like when you look at the most important numbers to me uh, are like what is the number needed to treat, right? So the question is if there are if there are 24 people with a, with heart disease, you know, how many people do you need to give a statin to in order to have one um, clinically effective uh, intervention? Yeah. And when you look at it through those eyes, you see that that's what I say. Most drugs don't work on most people. So that's why you get into if you go and see a conventional doctor, you get into like a cycle of trying different drugs and seeing which one works. And then how long does it work for? And then what are the side effects? And that process is essentially, you know, on, on each individual person, that's how you go from having zero cost of healthcare, which is, you know, a third of people in America make zero claims. Right. So, you know, so they're, they're healthy, you know, or that they're, they're maybe actually, they're not healthy. It's just, they're not making any claims, but then, you know, what you see the average person is going then on a journey towards starting to make a lot more claims as they go through that, like pharmaceutical merry-go-round of starting to understand what's going on. And eventually they cost $250,000 a year because they're on eight drugs and they have, you know, going to the doctor every month and they're just sick. They're chronically ill. And ultimately, if you multiply the number of people on that merry-go-round by the number of people that have these chronic illnesses, that's where you get this explosive cost yes. series, which is what I was seeing back 20 years ago that I was like, okay, well, this is now in X percent of the population. When it reaches this percent, we're going to have a big problem. And yeah. that's, you know, that's essentially, that's what's happening today. So then the key thing is, can you arrest the curve in, first of all, in each individual? And mm -hmm. now starting to think about in groups yeah. and, and essentially the, the thesis of the community cure and why I wrote this is that I believe, well, I don't, I don't believe it is becoming evident that the, the, the largest force available to us, the largest tool, the most effective tool that's available to us that we are using at 0% of its potential is people to support each other in that journey. Right. Yeah. One person supporting another person in that journey hmm. is is critically valuable. And that actually when people are chronically ill, when people sort of come to a doctor or come to some health uh, places delivering healthcare and have a chronic illness that's lifestyle mediated, mm -hmm. there is a moment where we can introduce them to a new community of people that are interested in reversing their chronic illness. And that actually right now we have everything that we need to be able to meet the problem at the scale that it exists. And, and I've never been able to say that before. And that's really, you know, really exciting is that before you could see that there were doctors that were capable of reversing these chronic illness and there still are, but that, the demand could never, the supply could never reach the demand, you know, and, and the, the effective demand is, is massive. Yeah. And so ultimately, you know, that's, I think we've, we've got some green shoots, should we say, of, oh, um, sprouts of success. And now it's just about like nurturing those to be, you know, more substantial. Oh man. I mean, I feel like you just, 
walked through what my 20 some year journey has been in, in my own healthcare offerings, which was the one-to-one process, which a great, great outcomes, great success, but you can only reach so many people. And when you end up in an, an environment of mine, working with people with cancer and you have people in a waiting room, you know, a virtual waiting room on a calendar waiting to see you that's booked out a year in advance with a terminal condition. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people die in the waiting room or a lot of people could have jumped in and been doing a lot of things while they're sitting in my waiting room. Right. So that was what then led me to moving into uh, training a, a, a bunch of advocates, like patient advocates to say, how can you hold the hands of people while they're in the waiting room? And that was really powerful. But what the what became really evident was that we didn't have enough clinicians then to help those now empowered, inspired, and more sophisticated patients to have someone to work with. So then I had to flip the switch again and go back and start to train the doctors. And so we're at that point now of watching exactly this, that we are so much more powerful as a community, our network itself is incredible. When we look at one of our doctors on average is seeing 250 patients dealing with cancer a year, we have now doubled the amount of patient advocates that can come in and help support those clinicians to help support the communal efforts of patient success. We are reach. It's like, it's like that, um, those old STD posters. Remember that? It's like, if you sleep with this person, you'll get this STD. And then it's like, it bubbles out really quickly. And suddenly you've got it all around. So not to say that we're an STD, but. No, I mean, Jeff Bland always talked about the virus of functional medicine, yes, right? Yes. Did You can't get rid of it. And like, it just keeps on growing because you see, you know, yeah. if you go back into your normal clinical life and you start to see patients through that lens, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And, you know, you can't help but like to communicate some of the things that you see now that you didn't see before. And then it sort of like infects others. And I think that's, what we're in the process of 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 seeing too. And and you've helped it so much because you know there's this dream I've had of building this hospital, this research institute and this, you know, in-house residential integrative hospital and research institute, which doesn't exist in that form in this planet. Um, and so what's so interesting is it's like, great, that's where I started to put my energy, but who was going to work there? Who was that's right. I just switch it back over to, okay, wait a minute, we've got to, we've got to make a mycelium net of people who are invested into this new built, this new model that you are so eloquent and elegant at creating and, and um, sort of corralling us all together in a, in a meaningful, reproducible, scalable way. And so it gives me incredible hope. It gives me incredible um, inspiration to see what you're doing and to see the folks that you've touched in such really a short period of time. You know, you've talked about what's happened in the VA. It took 10 years to get to this point. And like you said, we'd look, look through their doors right now and probably not see much of a change, but internally, a lot of changes have happened. It'll take another decade before it's very evident to the outside world. You've done that in half the time and reached a lot more people and a lot more systems that collectively together were, were becoming a, a unified front and a force to be reckoned with. You've also moved us from the model of passive care to participatory care, bringing the clinician, the advocates, and the patients all together in a very powerful way that it's like there's no tier. We're all at the same table together. And that also is something I think that you've done beautifully in this communal model. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, look, you start organizing practitioners into groups and the age old hierarchical thinking comes together right so it's like you know in conventional medicine it's like the specialist looks down on the 
the, the generalist, yeah. right? So, you know, that that's the way it goes. And then like in our world, like the generalist looks down at the naturopathic doctor and the naturopathic doctor looks down at the dietitian and the dietitian looks down at the health coach. And I'm just like, Enough. You know, ultimately, yeah, like that's not how great teams are built, you know, and, and ultimately part of the reason why I sort of bet my, or hung the shingle on functional medicine is that I believe that, you know, we needed a, a, um, a common language, right. To, to communicate, yeah. um, you know, I've never, I mean, this is new. I was just, I was just on a three week trip and I did a deep dive into, um, the history of Zionism because I decided I wanted to understand like this unbelievable conflict that's happening and really understand where it came from. And I learned a lot. I went on a 30 hour deep dive to understand like 1850 to 1982, what happened and when, but one of the most interesting things I learned along the way is that at a certain point, um, the, the Zionist leaders realized that they all spoke different languages. Like all these people that were coming across the diaspora into Israel, like in like, let's say 1900s, uh, early, like 1900 to 1910, like the early um, Zionists, you know, some were Russian Jews and some were German Jews and some were whatever, and they didn't speak the same language. And Hebrew is actually the first and only language that has come back, right? Never in history has a language like come back. And this was very interesting to me as someone, like what they're talking about is like, how do you build a nation? How do you build a state? And, and ultimately you need a common language. And I realized that from day one, when I was seeing an acupuncturist and a chiropractor who I felt were like doing very synergistic and very similar work, but their language was just so, you know, so diverse. And so they couldn't really communicate about what was happening in the body because one person was talking subluxations and the other person was, um, you know, was talking about meridians. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and like, is chi and prana, like, are these the same thing or are these different things? And or the vital force and the innate force, are these different things or are they the same thing? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I saw with functional medicine, and I, I'm not sure if I'm right on this, but what I saw with functional medicine was at least a structure whereby a team with a doctor and a naturopathic doctor and a dietitian and a chiropractor and an acupuncturist could work together, could see the patient through the same lens and could work out where, where and when they were best used. Mm. And, you know, in the early years, that's what I was really like searching for. And I just had a, an inclination that if you don't speak the same language, you can't really cooperate. Mm. And so listening to that story and, and hearing that story was like a reminder of the fact that, yeah, that's right. And and looking for a common language was a critical first step because without it, you're just sort of like, um, you may be doing the same thing, but you don't really understand that, that you are. Wow. I, first of all, what a fantastic analogy and a timely one at that. Um, and so I think that's really beautiful because I think that is, that is, and so much of also what you speak about the concept of community, the concept of a common language, the concept of a common goal or mission and vision is also brings us back to this concept of connection. And you alluded to this earlier on in our discussion that the longevity, for instance, in the United States is the only country in the world that's low, that's diminishing its longevity based on, as you also alluded to the era of despair. So suicide and opiate overdose, which really speaks to this era of loneliness, of disconnect, of pain on many levels. And so what you're also helping offer or a cure is a reconnection, a re 
establishment of a, of a cohesive unit. And that to me is our only way forward um, in, in medicine, in, in education, in politics, in all the things. It's like, where are the common threads of our, of our humanity? Where is the commonality of our humanity and our ability to achieve optimal wellness? And so I'm so grateful for you taking on this massive elephant you decided to swallow whole versus, you know, it might feel like you're taking it one bit at a time, but you are an incredible inspiration to so many. I really want people to know where else they can find you, read about you here. We'll have it in the show notes as well, but I'd like you to give a shout out about it. And for your final thought, I want to tell you, I want you to tell us what's one major thing that's absolutely lighting up your soul right now. Um, yeah, great. Well, uh, yeah, jamesmaskell.com. You can see the different projects that I'm involved in. Um, there are some other ones, like I've spent the last three years involved in an education project for my daughter. Uh, both my daughters are involved with it now and really thinking about holistic education. Um, so that's like a whole nother piece, but I've been infected with the virus of Rudolf Steiner's thinking over the last three years. So I've been had a deep dive. You know, I, I obviously, if a guy can come up with the ideas behind, you know, um, regenerative agriculture, I mean, I've been to the Fielder Clinic in Germany, where um, they have incredible health outcomes with a hospital that's built from the ground up to do integrative medicine, you know, to your dream. It's I, I got a tour of it in 2016. and was like, holy shit, like if you start let me just give you one example from that that like when people hear like what i could talk about all the different things that i learned there but the maternity wing faces the garden mm. you know what i mean it's like well, you can, if you're in the maternity ward you go outside and you can walk around in the garden and their c-section rate is eight percent where in germany is 33 percent like you know like what are we doing <laughs> you know like you you, you like that's just one one fact right <laughs> Steiner created that hospital, created biodynamic agriculture, created Waldorf education. And so now I'm deep in medicine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Medicine, these kind of things, because I, I just recognize like he was obviously like channeling something and, and we should probably pay attention. And even if you only believe in the agriculture part, you realize that that's enough to like get you over the edge on that end. So that's that's lighting me up in a way and that's not listed on the the projects that i'm involved with but that is something that i i'm you know involved with day to day because of um, my daughters but yeah jamesmaskell.com you can see those things and i would say you know uh i think there's lots of different threads to pull uh, i'm i'm very excited about uh these communities now re-emerging post uh, covid and and the 10-year anniversary uh, of the functional forum is an episode where I'm showcasing functional medicine being deployed inside a larger health system where the payment system is capitated, which essentially means that now it, it this medicine can be valued by payers, which yeah. I think is like a huge um, lever sure. pull, right? So that's that's really the 10 year anniversary episode is saying, hey. For the last 10 years, we've been kind of looking at how individual doctors can break forth out of the system and reverse chronic illness. I'm still, the next 10 years is going to be about like systemic change. And it's not just that doing it in the systems that exist, but it is the independent providers coming together to form a network that can, you know, op that can operate together and that those 
those network can be supported by systems that have more scale and that we can deal with the whole bell curve. So that's sort of, you know, where things are going. I've been really lit up recently by working with clinics and doctors that, um, like, if 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 you've already reached you know if you've had some success and you have a, su a successful practice today doing it i think what that tells me is that there's a foundation for something much more substantial and we are seeing right now like some of the the biggest clinics doing this kind of care you know one of them has 60 doctors and saw 10,000 patients last year so there is scale um that is emerging so i'm i'm very interested in in that part of things and yeah, just continue to be interested also in personalization at scale and some of the technologies that's arriving to allow, um, you know, your brain, Nisha, is the best system today in metabolic, you know, um, metabolic approaches to cancer to uh, synthesize, organize and prioritize data that's coming in to give the patient the best strategy for them moving forward, taking in a holistic amount of data. But the truth is there's like now way more data than you could ever keep in your mind. And so you have to actually like work out where do, where does wearable information prioritize with this, these labs that I'm seeing with tumor information that I'm having and how do I prioritize all those things together? Yes, yes. And, you know, I believe that there are, there are systems emerging where, you know, all of that information could be taken in, processed and organized through AI. Um, and that could, you know, create um, new scale to this emergent you know, community. And, and that gets me excited because ultimately I see like, how many, how many doctors aligned like this would we actually need with some of those structures in play yeah. to heal the world? You know, like if, if, you know, if you could, if you could train the AI right, yeah. then and with everything that you already know it could it, it has the potential to really work Massive. and i've seen the beginning of that too mm -hmm. and, and that gets me excited because as long as like you you could probably recognize that although the model that you've chosen to do which is to train these advocates and train these doctors mm -hmm. and it's very fulfilling and it's very valuable for everyone involved oh god is it inefficient percent. So that was exactly the next phase of this is how do you make it reproducible, scalable while not losing yourself in the process? We're yeah. no good to our patients if we have you know, been crushed under the burden that we carry in this field of, of really tending to very, very, very ill people. And my God, James, like this is, you know, you talked about, first of all, you are the man who has, I love that garden analogies and uh, permaculture and biodynamic farming and stuff is kind of entered into this sort of segue from the Steiner world, but you have planted seeds over the past 20 years. You have um, tended to the soil of this garden for the past 20 years. You are now seeing the sprouts coming up. And what is really exciting to me is what's about to just blossom um, ex so much in this next decade. And, and I hope very much that I get to be witness to it, to take part in it, to contribute to it in some other way and take it and take complete joy of, of enjoying what other people have contributed to it as well. And so thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Look, I want to, I want to acknowledge as well, like it's a, what you have already done is, is extremely meaningful, you know, communicate uh, commu participation in it. And I know like I'm always, um, 
you know, interested in, in just how far those tentacles have made it into all different other places. And yeah, I also recognize like, you know, you, a lot of, a lot of these things that it's, it, like you said, it's a mycelial layer. Yeah. And we didn't even know that there was a mycelial layer and it's, we've been living on top of it for decades, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and, but there is a mycelial layer, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's mission critical to, you know, to go on building that and, you know, cancer is, is, is really um, important for me to get my head around. It's something that I'm a little intimidated by actually, just because of the, um, it's, it just doesn't follow such a predictable pattern as some of these other chronic illnesses, but I think, you know, and I know, and we know based on exactly what's happening today is that this is going to get, this is going to become probably the issue of that this next decade because the, of the numbers of what is happening to, you know, the numbers of cancer in younger and younger people. And this is transgenerational epigenetics right and ultimately like we as protectors of our children and we as students of um the world are having to really work out what's going on and you know cancer is really the thing that could you know um that that is in the process of of being the sort of the, a reverse catalyst, if you will, you know, in, in the same way. And so we have to get our head around this quickly. And I think that all the mycelia that you've been laying, you know, could be um, mission critical to that conversation and it's coming and we got to get our head around it too. So I just want to thank you. And I, I predict with my crystal ball, um, you know, that that work that you've done will you know you'll show up at the right time at the right place with the body of work where there will be an an opportunity for that to catalyze into something that's much bigger than you can imagine and i know you actually dream bigger than almost anyone in the industry already i just wanted to i acknowledge you know when i when i was when i came to understand all the things that you were involved with and 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 what you've done so far and the way that you've gone about systemically and systematically building that i i just recognize that there was a lot of um there's a lot of soul there's a lot of wisdom a lot of forethought and i just want to you know share my appreciation for you to for the way that you've gone about your mission wow first of all thank you you said this to me in the last conversation we had thank you for seeing me i want to say that back to you so thank you and thank you for letting everyone else see you through this conversation as well and i look forward to many more conversations my friend so Thank you for joining us for this episode of Metabolic Matters. We hope you found today's conversation insightful and empowering. As we wrap up today's episode, we want to take a moment to acknowledge the incredible team and supporters who make this podcast possible. First, we'd like to thank our production team, Alex Sanchez, Cindy Kennedy, Jessica Gilman, and Lynn Hughes for their hard work behind the scenes. Our theme song was written by Julie Newmark and performed by Whiskey Flower. And finally, we wanna thank you, our listeners, for tuning in and being a part of the Metabolic Matters community. Do you wanna learn more? Please visit our website, metabolicmatters.org, and you can follow us on Instagram. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends and family. 
And if you want to help support our mission, spreading awareness and knowledge about metabolic health, reach out. We'd love you to join with us. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell to stay updated on upcoming episodes. We have so much exciting content coming your way. Until next time, stay curious, stay empowered, and remember, your metabolic health matters.